Welcome to Career View. This is the podcast where we ask questions you want to know when it comes to pursuing a career path. I'm your host, Nirija Shamal, and each episode I will ask questions on behalf of students across the country from secondary schools and universities what they want to know when it comes to pursuing their dream job. For today's episode, I'll be asking top questions that have been submitted by students on our Career View website who are interested in a career as a speech pathologist. Joining me today is speech pathologist Holly Thong, who is currently working at the State Rehabilitation Service at Fiona Stanley Hospital. Holly is more than just a speech pathologist. She also works as a casual makeup artist and runs her own flower business. She has many, many talents and gives her really honest advice on how to make all of these career choices possible. So let's get into it. And we're back for another episode on Career View. Today we have Holly. And Holly, tell me, how's your week been? How's the weekend going? What's been happening? Yeah, it's good. It's been a pretty relaxing weekend. I had work yesterday, but not my speech pathology work. Okay. Work as makeup artist at Mecca. So have that for a half day on Saturday and the rest of the weekend I've just been chilling. It's been pretty good. Fantastic. It's always nice to know that you've got something else that it's going yeah. on with from your main role. Is that something that you've been doing for a while or? Yes. So I've been doing it for four years. It was my casual job when I was studying at uni and I just loved it. And I think when I started speech pathology work, I felt like I wanted that creative outlet to keep going. So yeah. I just kept up with it. It's a pretty easy job since I've been there for so long. So yeah. Fantastic. Holly, I'm really interested to explore that a little bit about you know the things that you do outside of your main job because it sounds like you do um, obviously with the makeup artist but before we jump into our top questions asked by students when it comes to a career path of a speech pathologist first thing I want to ask you is what is a speech pathologist what exactly do you do on a day-to-day basis yeah so I guess my role is a little bit different to how you describe a speech pathologist working with children. So I work with adults. We assess and manage people with swallowing and also communication disorders. We also look at voice disorders as well. So we specialise in that area with adults. So I'm working in a hospital at the moment. I work with people who are quite medically unwell Mm. and we treat them, treat their swallowing issues so that might look at modifying their diet and fluids but then I also work in a rehab setting as well so that's looking at improving people's communication after a brain injury or after a stroke yeah so it's pretty varied um, depending on your workplace where you are yeah that's a little overview fantastic Holly and then so you work in a hospital and you work in a rehab facility as well are they two separate entities I work at Fiona Stanley Hospital, but there's different wards in the hospital. So my full-time work is split up between the State Rehab Centre, which is within the hospital. So I do three days there and then I do two days on the medical wards. So just like when people are admitted into ED and then they are quite unwell, the doctor's figuring out what's going on with them. I would see them there for swallowing, but I'd say more my role in the rehab side is more treating people with communication difficulties. Yeah. rather than swallowing. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, yeah. sounds very fascinating, Holly. But yeah, jumping into our top questions asked by students when it comes to a career path of a speech pathologist. The first question that we have for you, Holly, is how did you know that this was the right career for you? Yeah, so it was hard for me to find a career or pick a career path after school because mm. I had so many different things that I was into and I 
really enjoyed art in year 12. So that was something that I really enjoyed. I guess I took that more after school as more of a hobby and as more of like my side hustles, I've been able to keep up with that. But what led me to speech pathology was I actually really loved working with kids. So I tossed up between early childhood teaching and then I guess I looked into health sciences and the allied health, so like physio and occupational therapy and speech pathology. What led me to pick speech pathology over teaching is that I did a lot more science subjects at school. So I wanted to combine like working with kids, but then also having that science background. So um, speech pathology is a undergraduate in science Mm. so it kind of made sense to go into that but funnily enough I'm not actually working with kids I ended up working with adults so yeah it just kind of took that path through studying the degree and yeah I've ended up here. Okay and that's interesting because you would define yourself quite artistic right? Yeah. Do you find that the element of that artistic nature come throughout in terms of the job that you do or is it a bit more clinical in terms of the work that you do? I'd say it is a little bit more clinical I'd say for you working with kids, you probably have to be a little bit more creative in terms of thinking of the therapy activities that you're doing with the kids. But in my role, I'd say it is more clinical, Okay. which is why I've found that creative element in other aspects of my life and my career. Fantastic. And I want to explore this, actually, the fact that sometimes in school, right, you have various different interests and passions and they may not all align into one specific career path Mm. so you now work you know it's great that you work as a speech pathologist and it's based on the skills and areas that you've developed over the years but what is can you share with us some of the other things that you do as well as part of that makes up your identity and interests as well as a person yeah so um, like I said, I work as a makeup artist at Mecca. So that was my casual job. But once I finished uni, I actually worked full time at Mecca for about six months. As I was finding a job, I was really set on getting a job in a hospital in speech pathology. So mm. I didn't just apply for any job. I kind of waited out till I got the role that I wanted. Um, so in that time, I worked full time as a makeup artist. But that was the time of COVID lockdowns as well. Wow. Yeah, it was hard to get a job straight out into a hospital setting. So actually in the lockdowns, I really wanted to make myself a dried flower arrangement. Like I wanted to buy one for myself. Right. Okay. And my mum actually has an account at the wholesalers. So I thought, why pay all this money to buy one? Like, let's just try and make one. Like I can just recreate it. Sure. So we went and bought all this stuff to make this flower arrangement. And Mm. to make one flower arrangement, you have to buy bunches of different like varieties of flowers to make one arrangement. So we ended up with lots of leftovers and I said, oh, you know, why don't I try and make a couple more and like I can just try and sell the extras that I make. So I ended up just randomly creating an Instagram account and I said to my parents, (laughs) I said, you know, like this could be a great business. It's dried flowers. They don't die. So you don't have that. You don't lose the money. And that was during the COVID lockdown. I ended up selling a couple of them and then I made a bit of profit and I just kind of kept going with that and it just ended up turning into a business. So yeah, I have a dried flower business, wow. um, which yeah. I'm running on the side. Luckily, I have my mum to help out while I'm working full time, but yeah. that's also one of my 
yeah, side hustle. Amazing, Holly. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. There's more to a person than just one specific career path. I think that's yeah. something that you've proved very clearly. Starting something as small as putting some flowers together, but building it into a business is yeah. really commendable. And the fact that you work as a makeup artist, that you have varied, you have multiple skills that you can utilize and it doesn't have to be one career path. And I think mm. this is very important for students to listen and understand Definitely. and hear about is that you can do more than one thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you don't get your full fulfilment in one career, it's Mm. good to have all these other interests and things going on. So I think that's quite an unrealistic expectation of students to put all your interests into one career because it's not always going to tick all the boxes. So yeah, it's good to have lots of different things going on. Yeah, very insightful. And you've proven it. It's fantastic. No, very insightful stuff there, Holly. Jumping on to our next question asked by students is, did you have any influences growing up that led you to the speech pathologist career? Not really, to be honest. I didn't see a speech pathologist myself and didn't really know much about the career growing up. That's fair enough. It's, yeah. How did you get pulled into this as an option that you may consider as a career then? What was some of the other contributing factors that helped you make, hey, hey this is a decision I want to kind of pursue? I think always knew that being in the healthcare industry is quite a stable Mm. job and another good thing my parents always told me is that it's good flexibility in terms of if you want to go down to part-time so I guess that maybe led me to look within the healthcare field I knew I didn't want to become a doctor and I knew that I wanted to help people in some way yeah so I guess that would have played into it a little bit but I knew that I'm not like a corporate kind of person so I kind of ruled out that whole commerce business side of things yeah fantastic and this is something that we've seen come down to certain individuals on our career view podcast is that we have people that sometimes align to a career path because it allows them to be in an industry that gives them some of the benefits of flexibility Mm -hmm. um, good working hours stability Mm -hmm. that's a very important criteria as well and for our listeners to know that that is very important in terms of the decision making process of where you want to be because I really do believe that's also very critical in terms of how you want to live your life so interesting stuff there Holly next question that we have for you asked by students is what does a typical day look like for you And yours is quite interesting because you're doing a variety of different things. Mm. So can you share, not just in your role as speech pathologist, very clearly breakdown of what that is, but some of the other things you do as well. Yeah, so within my speech work, the hours are eight to four. And say if I'm rocking up for a day on the rehab ward, my day would look like, you know, starting with a bit of admin work. I'd check my emails, check the handover document, and I'd go to a journey board meeting. So that means we're meeting up with the doctors and the rest of the allied health teams so the physios the OTs and the nurses and just um, to chat through if anything's happened overnight or any updates with the patients on the ward Mm -hmm. yeah we'd attend that journey board meeting and then we'd kind of divvy up our day so with a rehab ward the patients are typically there so work on a brain injury specific rehab ward the patients are generally there for I mean, it can range from a couple of weeks to a whole year, Mm -hmm. depending on where they're at with their rehab journey. Because you're seeing regular patients, you know when you're seeing them, Mm. you set a time for your therapy. So you might be seeing them three times a week at that set time. So I guess a day in the rehab ward is pretty structured. You know when you're seeing your patients, but then you also have to make time for new patients coming in and new assessments and things like that. Okay. 
there's also a lot of non-clinical stuff that you have to do, like meeting with the families. So mm. you'd have whole team meetings with the families. You might have, yeah, multidisciplinary meetings, which is meetings with the rest of the doctors and the nurses and allied health where you're discussing the care and the rehab, how the patients are going. And also like admin time. So after you've seen a patient for their therapy, you'd have to write their notes yeah. and reports or mm. plan for their discharge when they're leaving hospital and the handover that you have to give for that so yeah there's a lot of clinical but also non-clinical stuff so that's kind of what it's like on rehab an example like I might be seeing a patient who has been in a car accident and has had a brain injury as a result of that and as a result they've you know, lost their ability to form words for speech. And, mm. you know, you'd be exploring different things like looking at iPad devices to help them speak or you might be reteaching them to make the sounds for words. So yeah. depending on their disorder, mm-hmm. um, you kind of tailor your therapy approach to help them. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, so that varies very differently to when I'm on the acute medical wards. Okay. So you'd be more looking at swallowing disorders. So when people are quite unwell, their whole body isn't functioning as well. Okay. So they might not be swallowing as effectively as they were before and obviously that affects your ability to eat and drink and get nutrition and hydration. If you're not swallowing properly, it's going down into your chest, you're developing a chest infection that leads to further medical complications. So if I'm on the general medical ward, we check our referrals at the start of the day and I'm meeting with the other speech pathologists and we're kind of divvying up who's seeing which patient. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have any set therapy times like you do in rehab. You're basically, you've got your patient list for the day. You pop into their room, see if they're free. You do their assessment. You provide your recommendations. You hand that over to the nurses and to the doctors. um, And then you write your notes just to document everything that's happened. And then you go and see your next person. So it's it's pretty flexible. There's less non-clinical things like meetings and things. It's really more patient focus that's fascinating and it seems like you're very hands-on with it with the role and you're required to be in front of people but there is some element of admin if you had to put a percentage split on you know hands-on involvement work with the client and the administrative work Mm. that you might need to be doing with reports as you mentioned what does that split look like Oh, it's hard to say. 60-40 depends how long it takes you to write your note. Yeah, 60% obviously hands-on with the client and then 40% you're actually doing all the report and admin kind of work. Yeah, I guess the documentation for what you're doing like you have to document everything your whole assessment so that's quite important yeah just to be handed over to the rest of the team and to the nurses your recommendations so and yeah and you fit that within the 8 to 4 p.m kind of shift in a day or is that obviously you spread it out during the week you have how how does that work yeah so it's within the day because you have to get your notes done within the day so say I'm seeing six patients within the day I'd be seeing them all I'd also be reading their notes and documenting their notes within the day right okay so I think probably it's important for our listeners out there who are interested in this career path and looking to explore this is that there is a lot of writing and reporting and Mm. you know work that is really important clearly in terms of having that skill yeah definitely Um, and that's one of the criteria for a lot of the jobs is having that ability to have that communication skill in written form. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great, uh, Holly. Next question that we have for you is, does the work ever become overbearing? I'd say definitely. Being in the rehab board, it's quite traumatic. Seeing how patients' lives can just be changed 
within a day or after a really traumatic accident. It's more seeing the effect on their family and how, yeah, their lives can completely change. It really puts things into perspective. But I'd say it becomes overbearing when you care so much about the patient and their family and you're so involved in their care, you start to think, am I doing enough for the patient? Is this the right therapy approach Mm. that I'm doing? You take a lot of responsibility, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And... You do see some pretty traumatic things like, and it's not just traumatic brain injuries, but it's also, you know, people with brain cancer and things that you're having to rehab, which is a lot to take on. I guess a lot of the role is also being there for the family yeah, and and answering their questions, which sometimes you can't answer and and that's Mm. really hard. Yeah, But in saying that, I think that's very specific to my role at the moment. Okay. Whereas when I'm working on the medical wards or if you're just in a general hospital setting, mm. I'd say it's less overbearing. Less overbearing. So, yeah, yeah. It, it depends. It depends and I get that. And I just want to ask you, if you don't mind me, it's a bit of a personal question, is that mm. how has there been situations where it's really affected you Obviously, being on the rehab ward where it's been difficult to work, is it that significant within what you're doing right now that it has affected you in some way? I'd say for a couple of my patients, yes. I haven't had to take time off, but I've definitely had to have my moments Mm. at work, like, you know, going, getting a coffee or debriefing with a colleague just to process what you're seeing on a day-to-day basis and it's not every day that it's like that Mm. it might just be I mean within the time that I've worked in this setting which would be over six months there'd maybe be one or two times where I've had to you know really take a break during that day to process understandable and whether it be in the rehab ward or in the hospital ward there is some element that the fact that the work can be quite overbearing with especially caring for the patient so much Mm. you've mentioned the fact that you know taking your coffee breaks speaking to other people what is really important for you to balance it out and to make sure that you're okay what are some of the methods that you do that make sure that hey I can still come into work the next day I can give my best Mm, I think one of the things I really encourage at work is debriefing with other people because it's not only just you treating the patient but the rest of the team is as well so they're obviously feeling the way that you're probably feeling so yeah even just chatting through it with a colleague taking a break from it and just removing yourself from the ward so that you can Mm. yeah just have some time to yourself and time to think of other things I think also for me is leaving work at work I really try and do that so when I'm yeah. finished yeah. well the good thing about healthcare is you can't really do anything at home because mm. it's all all the notes are on site so oh, you wow. can't take anything home yeah. but yeah when I come home being busy I wind down by doing my flowers or enjoying dinner and just chilling at home and trying not to think about work stuff yeah. I think that's yeah so important so important very yeah. good insights there Holly next question that we have for you is what did you find the most challenging part of the job when you first started? Yeah, I'd say when I first started, obviously as a new grad, you don't have all the clinical skills. You're not experienced at all. It's all very new to you. So it'd be decision-making about your recommendations. So, you know, I'd be seeing a patient and trying to decide what to recommend. And it just... Just was hard. It's just hard because you don't have the experience behind you to be like, oh, yeah, I've seen someone like this before and this is what I'm going to recommend. You always have that kind of second guessing as a new grad. So I found that quite tricky. But obviously there are supports in place. You've got people that you can ask questions of. And another thing I found really tricky is being in a hospital, talking with the doctors. Okay. And Why is that? 
it's more just, I guess there's this thing in healthcare where it's mm. like the doctors are making the calls. Right, um, okay. Which it shouldn't really be like that. It should be more of a collaborative, collaborative thing. But thing, yeah. I don't know, it's it's maybe just more in your head that you think that they're the big dogs and you, you have <laughs> You're to just ask down them something. Here. And yeah. yeah. So yeah. the power, power difference yeah. is real. It's what you felt. Yeah. Okay. But at the end of the day, if you feel like you need to advocate for a patient wow. and say something, then you have to. But you meet some personalities at work where it's actually hard to speak up. Really? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess just learning to change your communication style depending on who you're talking to and yeah, Very important speaking skill. up when you need to. Yeah. Absolutely. Very yeah. important skill because in any workplace environment, you're going to deal with all kinds of personalities, all kinds yeah. of power struggles, whether it be management, whether it be sea level, whether it be doctor in the hospital. It's all about trying to navigate the best way you can to obviously do your job effectively. But that's interesting. I It's interesting to hear your perspective of, you know, having struggling with the fact that you had to, in some situations, you couldn't actually speak up. And how yeah. has this improved, basically, now that you have a bit more experience, you know a little bit more about what you do and you can give advice yeah I think it just comes with experience to be honest and building your confidence yeah once you kind of take it down to why you're doing your job and it is to help the patient then all the rest of it doesn't matter like yes you might be a little bit scared to talk to someone who's way higher than you but at the end of the day you have to do what you got to do. You got to say what you got to say if it's if it's going to benefit the patient and their family. So yeah, no, simple as that. It makes sense. Next question that we have for you asked by students is: What are the main perks of working in this field? Oh, so I'd say the team environment. So you're always around people, which is what I love. You're on a ward and there's nurses there, there's mm. other allied health team and the doctors, and I love being around people and just being in that collaborative environment. So I love. That. Mm. So that like no, <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> no, it's good and it's important, um, right? Like to be yeah. if that's something you value, right? Being around people, seeing people. Yeah. You're always in an environment where you're gonna be seeing others. Yeah. Yeah. And I did private practice work coming out of uni for a little bit, maybe six months or so. Mm. And you know, you're in a room and you're just seeing like people coming as an appointment. So it's just one on one with the patient, but yeah. you're not having that collaborative, fun banter with your workmates and and that's what I really missed. Mm. So, yeah, definitely just being around people and having those fun work chats that sometimes aren't even related to work. Fantastic, It's It's so good. Um, Also being flexible. So, yeah, like I said, you can work contracts, you can go down to part-time if you want, like in future. And another thing that really drew me to it is that you can work overseas. So with speech pathology, you can work in the UK and I believe you can work in Canada as well. Okay. So you can transfer mm. your degree over. It's set hours, so you're eight to four. After that, you switch off. You don't have to bring anything home. Mm. I'd say that's more for the working in a hospital setting. Like if maybe you're working with kids in a private practice, it's not so much like that. Like you may have some take-home work, but I guess as you become more experienced, you get used to setting your hours setting and hours, having yeah. work versus mm. life yeah yeah definitely absolutely so great to know about those some of those key perks for yourself next question that we have for you holly is what is the pay structure like yeah so i actually found this quite tricky to find as like when i was in high school looking up the degree but now after st- 
like working in speech pathology for a while, I've got a bit of an idea. As a new grad, like coming straight out of uni, you're earning around, uh, say, the mid 70,000. So, like 75, 76,000. As a new grad, typically that would be if you're working within an organisation or if you're working within healthcare, although obviously it can vary. Within the healthcare, like WA Health System, there's actually like different pay grades. So it starts off around that ballpark. Mm. And then every year that you work, as you get more experience, your salary goes up each year. That would maybe be by a couple of thousand. I'm not sure of the exact Exact amount. Okay. it I'm is, pretty sure you can find it, yeah. Yeah, it is increasing, obviously. Maybe just coming back to you, Holly, so could you give a ballpark range of where you started and how it may progress for you in the future and what are the possibilities it can expand to in terms of your role as a speech pathologist? Yeah, so I think I start around 76,000 and then you go up every year. So there's different levels as you come out of the degree. So there's a P1, so that's just like a general speech pathologist. A P2 is a senior speech pathologist. Mm-hmm. A P3 is a more like specialist coordinator mm. speech pathologist. And then I believe P4 is like you're a manager of a speech pathology department. So right. there's those different levels. Okay. So you start off as 76,000 and then you're going up every single year, but then you plateau at about, at the end of P1, you plateaued about. I think it might be just a hundred thousand or around that. Around that. Yeah. Mark, yeah. Around that mark, mm. and then if you apply for a senior position, it then goes up to a hundred and ten, I believe. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm not too sure from there, Based but it's it's all set. So right. yeah, when you're working in healthcare and mm. well, within WA Health, say if you've got four years of experience, you're all going to be on that same. Salary. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of good because it is structured. You got yeah. the different P1, P2, P3. So you know yeah. what you can aspire to, but you can also know where you want to stay and where you want to sit in terms mm. of the work and also the salary that you can have in terms of your lifestyle, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Is there any personal ambition for yourself to look into going beyond P2, P3, P4, or what's the situation for you? Oh, for me, I think I would want to become a senior, but I'm not sure beyond that fair enough you know and it's i guess you know part of it is over time as you get more experience to decide what you want to do you know what i mean yeah and i i think you have to be well obviously very driven to work your way up Mm. to the different levels but whether i love it enough to want to be so high up Mm. like I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, no. And is it a completely different lifestyle? Like, is it much more hectic in terms of the work? Is it much more strenuous? Have you encountered people in those sign of senior positions really working overtime or what's the situation like? I think it's more just what your role entails. So as you go up to different levels, maybe you're doing more non-clinical stuff. Mm. Like maybe you're doing more admin or like supervision. and, And for me, it's like if I stay a P1, and I'm still liking it and it allows me to keep up with all my other side jobs, then I'm happy with that. (laughs) I like it. Last question that we have for you. Is there any other career opportunities you can explore based on the skills that you've developed as a speech pathologist and it's something that you've considered? So 
it's quite a specific career. So if you're going to look for other opportunities, it's going to be within the career. So if you become, say, a senior speech pathologist, you're specialising within, say, ear, nose, throat or oncology and cancer or neuro, so like post-stroke, like other neurological conditions. But I'd say within, yeah, there's not many other opportunities that come from that. Did you know that coming into this career, knowing that this is very specialised or? It's probably not something I thought about, to be honest. If anything, you can maybe go from adults to working with kids. Like you could go the different avenues. Avenues, yeah. Yeah, it's not really something I thought about. Whereas now thinking back, maybe other careers have more opportunity to jump between different roles you definitely have to go back and say study if you wanted to Mm. go into something else yeah excellent that wraps up all the questions that we have for you today thank you so much for being here i really enjoyed getting your insights about this very specialized role and career which is a speech pathologist for our listeners out there who have more questions for holly uh, that did not feature on our list today and would like to connect with her just visit our website careerview.com.au this is where you'll find holly's profile and you can send her more questions which i'm sure she will be happy to answer and with every episode Please don't forget to submit the questions you want to know, especially to young professionals who've been there and they've done that and they can share their story. Once again, Holly, great to have your insights. Before I let you go, one last thing I want to ask you, Holly, taking you back all the way to high school, you're someone who had multiple different interests. If you had to kind of go back and do it all again and see how you would approach this better, what would you do differently, if anything? Oh, I'd say just not to put so much pressure on making a decision in terms of what you want to do for your career because at the end of the day like if you study something and you start working in it and you don't like it you can just go and find another avenue or Mm. it might just be working your casual job that you really love and pursuing that Mm. and just not putting that pressure on yourself even though I know it's so hard to do but yeah really just figure out how you can perfectly balance a good career and your enjoyment and interests and hobbies and having that good balance because I think yeah at the end of the day if you have a career and you don't enjoy it you're not balancing that out with things that you do enjoy like it's just not going to be fun (laughs) I think just less pressure on yourself to make a decision like you can go back to uni and study you can have a complete career change if you want like it's people who have career changes all the time so it doesn't need to you don't need to pick the right one straight away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks again. Once again, really great to have you and I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. <laughs>